So, why did the modern signs of the times begin in 1917? Psalm 121 puts it further this way, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. It's supernatural. It's the only way you can really describe the survival of the Jewish people. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for the Remnant, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. Today, Jan spends the hour with Dr. David Reagan in a provocative discussion on many issues. We are in a countdown to the end of the church age, and God has given us many signs as markers along the highway as a warning. Jan and David Reagan discuss those in part one of today's programming. The Bible says we cannot know the time of the Lord's return, but the Scriptures make it equally clear that we can know the season of the Lord's return. Consider, for example, these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Okay, folks, this passage asserts that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. But then it proceeds to make it clear that this will be true only for the pagan world and not for believers. His return should be no surprise to those of us who know Him and His Word, for we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding of the nature of the times. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio, and I have had the privilege of working with Dr. David Reagan for many years. He has been to a number of my annual conferences, and we've carried so many of his books in our online store. He says we're living on borrowed time. We're going to talk about that today as we discuss some of the signs of the times. Dave Reagan has contributed a chapter in the new Terry James book, Lawless and Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist. I'll be referencing that during the hour as well. And we carry this book, but we're running very low on the product. I'll say more about that as we move into the programming here. I'm going to be playing a number of clips throughout the hour as well. Hopefully that will complement the discussion Dr. Reagan and I are having. Dave Reagan founded the Lamline Ministry over 40 years ago near Dallas, Texas, and you've heard one of his associates on this program numerous times, Nathan Jones. Dave Reagan, welcome to the programming here. Thank you, Jan. It's always a joy and a blessing to be on the radio with you. I really admire you and the ministry that God has given you and the way that you have taken good care of that ministry over the years and never wavered from the truth. And you just keep talking the truth. We're both trying to do that, David, and I hope we can do that this hour. I'm kind of focusing on a couple of main topics. You've written about the 50 reasons we're in the end times. You've done a message on it. You've done a video on it. To be honest, you gave this message of 50 reasons at my Understanding the Times conference. I remember looking at the audience And they were literally riveted as you gave the summary of these 50 reasons why we're in the end times. And I played that little clip. In your 50 reasons and in your other presentations, you talk extensively about six categories of signs of the times. We're not going to try to hit 50, but we can hit the categories you talk about. I found it interesting in that introductory clip. You say, that Christ coming like a thief in the night has nothing to do with the believer because he says 
watch, occupy till I come, and I'm going to provide you signs. That's right. In fact, in that very passage that was read right at the very beginning, it says that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, but not for you, brethren. Not for us. Because we have the Holy Spirit residing within us, and we can understand God's Word, and we can understand that signs are given that indicate the season of the Lord's return. Not the date, but the season. The season. And we are in that season. You talk about the six categories. I'm just going to run through these. You include signs in nature, signs in society, spiritual signs, signs in world politics, signs in technology, and of course the super sign that would be as real as a signpost. And I want to start, if we could just take a minute to talk about the signs in nature, then I want to move to society because we see it crumbling before our eyes. The signs in nature, as you say, there have always been signs in nature. Why are you making a bigger deal of it now? Because of all the different signs of the end times, these have the least respect on the part of Christians because they just don't believe that God is intervening supernaturally today in society in any way and certainly not superintending natural signs. And yet the Bible teaches from beginning to end that God has always used natural signs to call people's attention, to call them to repentance, even to signal great events such as the great earthquake that occurred on the day that Jesus was crucified. We have all through the Old Testament examples of prophets pointing to terrible tragedies like Joel, who talked about that the nation needed to repent, and if they didn't, he said, if you think that this locust invasion that has occurred in our land is horrible, and it was, that's the worst thing that could happen in an agricultural Mm -hmm. nation. He said, if you think this is bad, this is nothing compared to the army that's going to come if you don't repent. So Joel used a sign of nature. We find this all through the Bible. And the Bible tells us that in the end times, these signs of nature are going to increase like birth pangs. They'll get more frequent and more intense, like more frequent earthquakes and more Mm -hmm. intense earthquakes. We have been brainwashed by Western rationalism into believing that if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, if you can't smell it, if you can't dissect it, it doesn't exist. And you and I know there's a whole realm of existence that we normally cannot perceive with our senses, the realm of angels, the realm of demons and the supernatural, and God intervening with natural disasters to call our our attention to our sins and to call us to repentance. When the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, Moses told them, said, now you must obey what God has told you, and if you don't, he'll send prophetic voices, and he will send remedial judgments. And he starts naming all these remedial judgments, like crop failures and hailstorms. God works through signs of nature, and yet We in the Western world have been so brainwashed by Western scientific rationalism that we find it very difficult to believe that God is really speaking through something like Hurricane Katrina. I want to move on to your signs in society. I'm going to play a clip. It's of you talking here about the condition of the world right now and of America as well. The second category of end-time signs is the signs of society. Paul mentioned this category of signs in 2 Timothy 3 when he wrote these words, but realize this that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This passage sounds like a typical evening newscast today. Notice the three things it says people will love in the end times. Self, money, and pleasure. The love of self is humanism, the belief that man can accomplish anything on his own. It is the religion of the end times. The love of money is materialism. When humanism is your religion, your God will always be money. 
The love of pleasure is the third love that is mentioned. This is hedonism. It is the lifestyle that is always produced by humanism and materialism. But God cannot be mocked. He therefore sees to it that when people choose humanism, materialism, and hedonism, the payoff is always nihilism, which is a fancy philosophical word for despair. Need I emphasize that our world is wallowing in despair today? Dave Reagan, I have in front of me an article from Prophecy Newswatch. I want to read two short paragraphs. My listeners know that I live in the Wild West known as Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thankfully, the Chauvin trial is over, but that's just one of many incidents that seem to keep happening here and in some other states where violence is the new normal. Let me just read a couple of these paragraphs. From coast to coast, major U.S. cities are being transformed into war zones, and our politicians seem powerless to stop the carnage. If we can't even feel safe walking down the street anymore, what does that say about our society as a whole? Then it goes on to say, over the past few months, this author has published article after article documenting this shocking deterioration of our society as a whole, but most people that this author interacts with still seems to think that conditions will return to normal eventually. And then he concludes, unfortunately, I do not believe that it's going to be the case. The riots and violence that erupted in 2020 have sparked a wave of civil unrest that has spilled into 2021, and we continue to see incidents of civil unrest on a nightly basis. For example, recently rioters in Portland set the ICE building on fire while agents were working inside. And this is so profound. Hearts have grown so cold in this country, and it is only going to get worse. And then in 2020, we witnessed a spike in crime rates all over the U.S. that was absolutely unprecedented. In particular, homicide rates were way up all over the nation. The thing that jumped out to me, David Reagan, was how hearts are growing so cold everywhere. That is certainly true. The thing that's interesting about that is that in 1999, I wrote a book titled Living for Christ in the End Times. I wanted to have as the subtitle of that book, I wanted it to say, Coping with Apostasy and Revolution. And the publisher, as you well know, publishers have absolute control over yes, covers yes. and titles. And they refused to give it that subtitle. They said, well, that's so extreme. We don't have that much apostasy in the church, and there's not going to be that kind of violence in society that you're talking about. So they would not use that. In 2015, I took it away from them, and I gave it my own title, that we're looking at apostasy and revolution. I think everybody understands now that this is true. It wasn't because I had some special revelation from God. It was simply because I could see the trends in society and see where we're going, because this society is in the process of very rapidly secularizing and paganizing. And when you move in that direction, you're going to end up with rioting and gross apostasy in the church. A Minneapolis city official, and this is right during the Derek Chauvin trial, which now ended some 10 days ago, said that Black Lives Matter should burn all the homes of the wealthy in Minnesota, or I think she meant all over the country. This kind of careless lawlessness, all we care about is our agenda. That's all that matters. Yeah, the thing that gets me about some of these leaders, they're so hypocritical. You can see that in the rules they lay down for the pandemic, and they don't follow them themselves. Yes, exactly. But the Black Lives Matter movement was founded by three women, all of whom have a background of communism, and all three of whom are vehemently anti-Semitic. Yeah, I know. They believe in Black Lives Matter, but they don't believe Jewish Lives Matter. Well, we got people in the church who don't like Jews either, and we're heading there in just a few minutes here. But spiritual signs, that's the third category. 
a lot of spiritual signs, some good, some not so good. And we've certainly seen some almost revival in the last 100 years or so. You bring out, of course, that people are going to not endure sound doctrine in the last days. They're going to want their ears tickled. These are some of the spiritual signs, folks. We're just covering general categories. They're going to be caught up with false Christs, apostasy, deception, even get into some occultic activity. But at the same time, came along in the last 100 years, we've had the rise of Messianic Judaism. And then you tie the significance of the late great planet Earth to the spiritual signs. Explain why. Because in 1970, when that book came out, it had such an incredible impact. Time magazine recently certified that that book was the number one bestseller for 10 consecutive years, a book about Bible prophecy. It was written in a down-to-earth, easy-to-understand manner. It also, instead of just saying that everything is going to happen supernaturally, it began to describe how these things in the book of Revelation could happen through events of war here on earth and modern technology and so forth. And it impacted the lives of many, many people. Even to this day, I keep running across people. In fact, this last weekend that I was at a conference, I had a person tell me that he came to the Lord as a result of reading the late great planet Earth. And so many people did. The Lord used that book mightily. The reason that's important is because it says in Daniel chapter 12, when Daniel said to the Lord, Lord, you give me all these prophecies about the end time, and I don't understand them. What do they mean? And the Lord said, it's not for you to understand, it's for you to write them. When the time comes for the prophecies to be fulfilled, people will understand. The spiritual signs, and again, the preaching of the gospel worldwide, and certainly since the invention of radio, television, and computers, and that would be here in the last 100 years or so, those are some of the signs that fall into the spiritual signs category. And then you go to category number four, world politics. You taught national politics before you went into ministry in about 1980. Why don't you just summarize why world politics, you have that as a particular sign. And again, we see the empires forming in the book of Daniel. We see the European common market had to happen. All sorts of United Nations had to happen for that matter in 1945. Talk to us for a minute about the world politics category. The Bible pictures a certain configuration of world politics in the end times. And, of course, the focus of it is Israel, that it would be reestablished, and that all the nations of the world would come against Israel. We're seeing that. It would be surrounded by hostile Arab nations. There's very specific prophecies about that, that the old Roman Empire would come back into being, that Russia would be a menace to Israel. Just on that point, when C.I. Schofield wrote his study Bible in 1909, he made the comment that in the end times, Russia will lead a coalition against Israel and will invade Israel. Just stop for a moment and think about That's 1909. Israel did not exist. Mm -hmm. There was no possibility, it seemed, that Israel would ever exist, and that Russia was a Christian Orthodox nation. And people asked him, said, well, how can that be? How can a Christian Orthodox nation invade a nation that doesn't exist? And his answer was, I don't know. I can't explain it, but the Bible says it, and therefore I believe it. And today we can see very easily that it's going to happen. Absolutely. You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. I have on the line from the Dallas, Texas area, Dr. Dave Reagan. You can learn much more at ChristinProphecy.org, ChristinProphecy.org. Catch his weekly television program, sign up for his various e-releases, his magazine, and the many books that he writes, which we have carried here over the years. I'm sure we've carried at least a half a dozen of them. So the world politics, that was the fourth significant category of signs. I'm moving on to number five here, the signs of technology. 
we have to consider for a minute the Antichrist here and the tools that he's going to use. Obviously, he's going to have the finest of technology at his fingertips. He's going to have nuclear weapons. He's going to have satellite TV, computer technology, holograms, the whole nine yards. And this fits into the fifth category of signs you highlight. Yes, and just take one of those, and that is that we're told in the scriptures that in the end times, the two great prophets of God are going to be in Jerusalem, yes. the first half of the tribulation, and they're going to be killed. And when they're killed, the whole world will look upon their bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, and then suddenly they're going to be resurrected and taken up to heaven, and the whole world will witness that. Well, there was no way to explain that in natural terms until really the 1960s. We had to wait until we had television satellites in the air, and today we don't even think anything of it. We just point a camera at the bodies, it zip it up to a satellite, the whole world can look upon the bodies. But nobody understood that before this day and time. We're covering six categories of end-time signs. It actually is from a message Dave Reagan gave outlining the 50 signs of the end times. That would have been number five, the signs of technology. Men's hearts are going to faint from fear, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken, Luke 21. Evidence of probably radiation, because people are going to be covered in sores during the tribulation, from which the church is absent, of course. I'm moving quickly here to sign number six, and I want to spend some extra time on it, and that's, of course, the super sign, Israel being God's time clock. And I want to introduce this clip of you. Here you talk about the remarkable preservation of the Jewish people because no other group has been scattered and then regathered. My goodness, the language is preserved throughout 2,700 years of dispersion. The miracle of this, as you say, I'm using your terms, is mind-boggling. Let's take a look at these two. Let's begin with the preservation of the Jewish people. The preservation of the Jewish people is so remarkable, it is so historically stunning that its uniqueness has been noted and commented on by a great variety of people. No other people in all of history have been scattered all over the world and been regathered back to their original homeland. Consider, for example, the great historian Arnold Toynbee. He fully recognized the unusual nature of the Jewish experience. He wrote a 10-volume work on the study of history, and in that work he traced the rise and fall of 26 civilizations, and he ended by noting that the Jewish people were the only people who have ever lived that did not fit into his scheme of history. Toynbee ended up classifying the Jews as fossils of history because they seemed to be frozen in time. He said they refused to be assimilated into the soup of humanity. They were determined to keep their separate identity. Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian novelist, expressed his awe over the preservation of the Jewish people with these words. He wrote, what is the Jew? What kind of a unique creature is this whom all the rulers of all the nations of the world have disgraced and crushed and expelled, persecuted, burned, drowned, and who despite their anger and their fury continued to live and to flourish? The Jew is the symbol of eternity. To get a feel for how preposterous the preservation of the Jews is from a human perspective, I want you to consider something that this man wrote, Rabbi Dov Greenberg. He is the executive director of Shabbat, which is the Jewish Hasidic movement. And here's what he wrote. Imagine we could travel back in time and say to the great Pharaoh of Moses' time, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that one of the nations alive today will survive and change the moral landscape of the world. The bad news is it won't be yours. 
It will be that group of Hebrew slaves out there building your glorious temples, the children of Israel. Nothing, he writes, would sound more outrageous. The Egypt of Pharaoh's time was the greatest empire of the ancient world, brilliant in its arts and sciences, formidable in war. The Israelites were a landless people, powerless slaves, indeed already in antiquity. Those in power believed the Israelites were on the verge of extinction. The preservation of the Jewish people throughout 2,700 years of dispersion is mind-boggling. I want you to keep in mind that they were dispersed to over 130 nations worldwide, and they were brutally mistreated wherever they went. Will Varner, a professor at the Master's College, has expressed it this way. He wrote, No nation in the history of the world has ever been exiled from its land, lost its national existence and language, and then returned as a people to that identical homeland and even revived its ancient language. No nation, that is, except one, the nation of Israel. No nation in the world has ever been exiled and brought back like that. Again, one of the categories of signs that we're talking about, this would be the super sign, and Dave Reagan has contributed to the book of Terry James, Lawless End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist. But let me just give you a quick heads up here. We are carrying this book in our store, but due to some COVID issues, which I don't fully understand, the publisher is having issues and we have a limited quantity and the publisher is unable to replenish our supply for probably a couple of months. So you may go to our store, and you're just going to have to wait until we indicate that we have been replenished with the book. Problem is, the book is so popular, it may be the most popular product we've ever carried, Terry James' new book, Lawless. So I apologize for the inconvenience. David, in the book, the chapter you've written is Deniers of Israel. Explain your title. I point out that throughout history, people in the church from the very, very earliest times have denied that Israel has any future. They've argued that the Jews were Christ killers, and because of that, God washed his hands of them and has no purpose left for them whatsoever, and that all the blessings and all the promises that God gave to the Jewish people have been transferred to the church and will be given to the church in the end times. And this, of course, is just as unbiblical as it can possibly be. But this is the majority viewpoint. That's right. Uh, It is the view of the Catholic Church and of most of the mainline. Mainline Protestant. Yes, that's right. They're going to be regathered in unbelief. Obviously, the taking back of Jerusalem needs to happen. And you point to the beginning of modern end times. Obviously, end times actually began at the cross, but The end of the end times, you would point to 1917 and Balfour Declaration. Yes, I think that put us into the end of the end times when the Balfour Declaration was issued in 1917 because it paved the way for a homeland for the Jewish people and the fulfillment of all the prophecies that the Bible believers had been talking about for 400 years. And in the end times, God's going to regather the Jewish people in unbelief. And people in the church have just scoffed and laughed at that idea and said, no, God's washed his hands of the Jewish people. I sum this up in one sentence where I say the irony of all this is that a Jewish movement built upon Jewish scriptures and faith in a Jewish Messiah Mm. was hijacked by Gentiles who proceeded to declare Jews to be outcasts. Mm. And that's so sad. The history of Christian anti-Semitism is just simply horrible. It paved the way for the Holocaust. We're going to talk about that. We'll go out of this segment. We're going to play one more clip. Let's take a look now at the second miracle that enabled the reestablishment of the state of Israel. And that is the promise that in the end times, God would regather the Jewish people in unbelief from the four corners of the earth. There are many such prophecies. In fact, their regathering in unbelief is one of the most prolific prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
Let's just take a look at four of the many, many prophecies about the regathering of the Jewish people in unbelief. And the first one is mind-boggling. It's taken from Jeremiah chapter 6. And this I want you to listen to very carefully because this is really unbelievable prophecy. It says, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But they will say instead, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land which I gave to their fathers. Folks, that's a mind-boggling thing. He is saying that when history is finished and the Jews look back on their history, they will no longer swear by the God who delivered them from Egyptian captivity, but the God who regathered them from the four corners of the earth. It is the same God. What it's saying is the Jews will consider their regathering from the four corners of the earth to be a greater miracle than their deliverance from Egyptian captivity. And you and I are living in the time when we are blessed to see this prophecy fulfilled before our eyes. And the average person sitting in a pew today has no understanding whatsoever ever of how important this regathering is and how the Jews look upon it themselves. It's amazing. That's what happens when you completely ignore Bible prophecy as most churches do these days. People just don't understand the importance of what is going on around them. Dave Reagan, that's what jumped out at me in that little clip. And I know you were giving a message up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Bill Perkins' compass. You close that clip off. The average person in the pew probably doesn't understand what you and I are talking about this hour. Incidentally, I misspoke in that. That's Jeremiah 16 instead of Jeremiah 6. But Jeremiah says that twice in his book. I was having lunch with a fellow not long ago, an older man, and we were talking about the first coming of Jesus, and he leaned across the table and said, David, wouldn't it have been great to live in Bible times? Mm. And I said, brother, we are living in Bible times right now. We're seeing prophecies thousands of years old fulfilled before our very eyes. This is an exciting time. Right, but getting folks excited about it in the church is quite a chore. That's true. That's what jumped out at me in that little clip. You said the average person sitting in the pew doesn't even comprehend perhaps some of the substance of the content in this hour, and I find that tragic, and it's the biggest change in my lifetime and perhaps your lifetime as well. When I get back, folks, have you heard about the open letter to evangelicals? put out by the Knox Theological Seminary. That's a Presbyterian seminary. It's a few years ago now, but I wasn't aware of it. And I became aware of it through reading Dave Reagan's chapter in The Lawless, Deniers of Israel. And I'm going to talk about it when we get back. I'm going to talk about some other things as well. Christian Palestinianism, this is a wacky movement, by the way. You've got Gary Burge, you've got Steve Sizer, you've got Rick Wiles. You've heard me talk about him before as well. Even Hank Hanegraaff has been speaking at some events that are extremely anti-Israel. We'll get to that. I'm going away for just a couple of minutes. Don't you go away. I'm coming right back. We hope you'll stay in touch with us online through olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. You can call us Central Time at 763-559-4444 at 763-559-4444. Write us through the mail at Olive Tree Ministries and Jan Markell, Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. That's Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. In this age of fake news and false teaching, thank you for trusting Understanding the Times Radio and Olive Tree Ministries. 
We're living in an era defined by global pandemics, natural disasters, political strife, and ever-shifting morality. One who examines this so effectively is author Jeff Kinley in his newest book, Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. You can find this in our online store at olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Though at times we may feel tempted to question God's presence, Kinley believes these trends actually signal the nearness of Christ and the end of days. Learn to live in a chaotic world with complete confidence in God's plan. This book will actually inspire you to live with hope. You can respond to our times with grace. In a time of upheaval, uncover God's prophetic plan and your place in it. You can also call our office to place your order or get on our print or e-newsletter list where we offer two dozen products that will help you understand the times, contend for the faith, and become watchmen on the wall. Every time I see all these prophecies being fulfilled for the Jewish people before my very eyes today, I get excited because I know God is going to fulfill every promise that He's made to the church. We know you can't always be by a radio, so just remember that our programming is posted to our website in both its audio and video format. Just go to olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org, and then to radio. The program also airs on OnePlace.com, on his channel, on Light Source, on Rumble, and on YouTube when it is not censored. It is also posted to our Facebook page and to our Instagram. Now here are Jen Markell and David Reagan to wrap up today's discussion. God is using that persecution of the Jewish people to motivate them to go back to Israel. The Jews in France are just evacuating France and moving back to Israel. And God wants the Jewish people back in the homeland because He has a purpose for them coming back to the homeland. And that purpose is to bring a great remnant of them to salvation. He's going to do it by bringing them to the end of themselves. In the mm -hmm. past, that they always looked to Egypt. Today they look to the United States. By the end of the tribulation, everyone in the world is going to be against the Jewish people. And they will be brought to the end of themselves to the point that they will look upon Him whom they have pierced, and they will weep and will and mourn, and receive Yeshua as their Hamashiach. And Jesus Himself said, I will not return until the Jewish people say, Baruch haba b'ashem Adonai, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. That's and great. yet, one of the worst evils in the church today is replacement theology, mm -hmm. which continues today. The majority of all Christians are in churches that teach replacement theology. God has no purpose left for the right. Jewish people because the Jewish people were the killers of Jesus. And let me just very hurriedly say that there is a Scripture that everybody needs to pay attention to because it refutes that. It's found over in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. Listen to this. Truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus whom thou didst anoint, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews. Now who killed Jesus? Herod, hmm. Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the Jews, and you, and me, and yeah. Tom. Because Jesus died for the sins of right. all mankind. We all have the blood of Jesus on our hands. Right. Not just the Jewish people. Welcome back. You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio, and I have as a very special guest Dr. David Reagan, Lamb Lion Ministries. Learn more at ChristinProphecy.org, ChristinProphecy.org. I happened to catch, I believe it was his electronic newsletter of a week or two ago, 50 Reasons We Are in the End Times. 
David gave that message at one of my Understanding the Times conferences. It may have been a decade ago. I don't quite recall. What he did was separated those 50 reasons were in the end times into six categories. We talked about those in the first half. Signs in nature, signs in society, spiritual signs, signs in world politics, signs in technology, and last but not least, the super sign, Israel as a signpost. And that's where we've landed right now. I just want to make a quick announcement because we're talking about end time issues, Israel, and all the things that are breaking and headlines, which very often tie to the Bible. And you know that Olive Tree has had a very successful annual, sometimes twice a year conference. Pastor Jack Hibbs has taken it over, at least for 2021. will be Saturday, September the 11th, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, California. Of course, it will be live streamed. It will be carried live on his channel. I'll be speaking, Barry Stagner, Amir Sarfati, Jack Hibbs. I believe Jack's calling the event, Behold, He Comes. I believe there's no cost, but don't consult us. Check with Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and I believe they open registration in June. So this is just a heads up. You might want to put Saturday, September 11th, Southern California on your calendar. If you want to come together as those who love to talk about these issues and your church doesn't, you might want to put that on your calendar destination, Southern California. It's often been Eden Prairie, Minnesota, but not last year, not this year again because of COVID. Now, I want to move on quickly. Talking to Dave Reagan here, we're focusing right now on his chapter in the book, Lawless, the End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist, and his chapter, The Deniers of Israel. And David, during the break, a couple of things we talked about. First, you were speaking at a prophecy conference, I believe in Missouri. Then I want to move into an issue you raise in your chapter. It happens to be about Martin Luther. But first, what happened in Missouri? At that conference, there were five speakers, and one of the organizers of the conference was a fantastic younger man who is in Bible prophecy, and his name is Jeff Kinley. Yeah. Uh, another co-sponsor was Todd Hampson, who is a very creative illustrator and has written some books on Bible prophecy also. The two of them have gotten together in a union called Prophecy Pros, and they do a lot of things together. So they were sponsoring this conference, and they got up and told us that not long ago they were invited to speak to a conference of teenagers, mm -hmm. and there were 500 high school students there. And they stood up and said, we have two questions for you. Number one, how many of you have heard a sermon on Bible prophecy or any teaching on Bible prophecy in the last year? And not a single hand was raised, not one. Then they said, how many of you have thought about the end of the world since this pandemic began? And almost every hand went up. Right now we're having an epidemic of suicide among yes. teenagers across this nation. They desperately need hope. Bible prophecy provides that hope, and it's not being preached or taught. One of the problems we have in churches today is that youth ministers are primarily entertainers mm -hmm. and babysitters rather than teachers of the Word of God. I certainly would agree. And by the way, Jeff Kinley is my on-air guest next week, folks. David just referenced him because Jeff's got a brand new book out, After Shocks, and it's a shocking book. We'll talk about that next weekend. Well, David, interesting story that you had there in Missouri. During the break here, you and I were discussing some things. And I think the thing that a lot of listeners aren't aware of, and I'm in Martin Luther land. I'm up here in Minnesota, where Lutheran Church literally on every block. Martin Luther obviously had an impact on the upper Midwest. I've got your chapter open in the Lawless book. You say this, Luther turned against the Jewish people with a vengeance. You say in 1543, he wrote a pamphlet in which he referred to the Jews as a miserable and accursed people. 
stupid fools, blind and senseless, thieves and robbers, a great vermin of humanity, lazy rogues, venomous. You go on to say he dehumanized and demonized them. And obviously, Adolf Hitler took advantage of this. And then you go on to say Luther then proceeded to make a series of drastic proposals for dealing with the Jews. Number one, synagogues and schools should be burned. Their houses should be destroyed. Their Talmudic writings should be confiscated. Their rabbis should be forbidden to teach. Their money should be confiscated. They should be compelled into forced labor. David, this is almost beyond comprehension because Luther did some rather incredibly good things at the same time, and you wonder how he could be so deceived. I admire Martin Luther for the fact that he stood up to the most powerful institution of the Middle Ages and one that could kill him immediately and did try to do so. only reason he survived was he was protected by a German prince. He was a man of great courage, and he was a man who revived the gospel by pointing out that we're saved by grace through faith. And in fact, when the Catholic Church called him to a council to confront him, they said, this idea is too new to be true. He said, well, Peter and John and Jesus and all of them wrote about it. They said, well, none of the popes ever missed it. And he said, but it's in the Bible. He was a man of great courage. And when he first started out, he spoke lovingly of the Jewish people and held them in honor and respected them. He wrote several pamphlets talking about how brilliant they were. He said, I believe that the reason the Jews have rejected the gospel is because the Catholic Church has been presenting a perverted gospel. Mm. But now that I have revived Mm -hmm. the true gospel, the Jews will accept the gospel. When they didn't, then he turned against them in an incredible vengeance right at the end of his life and wrote these horrible things that were simply a blueprint for the Holocaust. When Hitler was rising to power in Mein Kampf, he called Luther a great warrior, a true statesman, and a great reformer, and one of the men he most admired in life. I'm going to play one more clip of you, because here you talk about the Church Fathers, and I think the stunning tragedy of the Luthers, even the Calvins, is that they really launched this terrible replacement theology, and we'll get to that in just a moment. This is a little bit longer clip, folks, but I think you'll find it very interesting, very helpful, and insights here into the Catholic Church. As early as the second century, you had leaders, what we call church fathers, taking the position that because the Jews killed Jesus, God has washed his hands of the Jewish people, has no purpose left for the Jewish people, and that the new Israel is the church. We argued that the church had replaced Israel, that God had abandoned all the promises that he had made to the Jewish people. Instead, those blessings were now bestowed upon the church. We claimed all the blessings that God gave Israel. We didn't claim any of the curses, but we claimed all the blessings that God had given to Israel. And this happened very quickly, very quickly. And it happened as more and more Gentiles came into the church. So that by the fourth century, John Chrysostom, who was considered to be the greatest preacher of the early church, he gave some five sermons against the Jews. And in one of the sermons he said, the synagogue is not only a brothel and a theater, it is also a den of robbers and a lodging place for wild beasts. Those were the Jews. Jews are inveterate murderers possessed by the devil. Their debauchery and drunkenness gives them the manners of a pig. And this man was sainted by the Roman Catholic Church. It developed very early. By the Middle Ages, it was almost impossible for a Jew to become a member of the church because they insisted that he cease being a Jew and become a Gentile. And during the Middle Ages, this was reinforced through the concept of ghettos, hurting the Jews into certain areas, passion plays. The passion plays were primarily not to honor Jesus Christ, but to give people an opportunity to throw tomatoes and whatever at Jews who came out with big hooked noses on their faces. The Crusaders, 
They supposedly went into the Middle East to deliver it from the Holy Land from the Muslims, but they were given permission to kill the Jews along the way. When they got to Jerusalem, they herded all the Jews they could find into one building. They surrounded it by the troops. They sang, Ferris, Lord Jesus, while they put the building on fire and burned all the Jews to My death. Word. The Black Plague was blamed on the Jews because the Jews did not suffer as much from the plague as did others. And the reason they didn't suffer is because they followed the hygienic rules of the Old Testament of Moses. The blood libel, which the Palestinians continue to this day, and the blood libel is that every year at Passover, the Jews kidnap a Gentile child, cut his throat, drain his blood, and drink the blood at the Passover meal. And pogroms, where the government would give permission, say for two weeks, go out and kill as many Jews as you want. This happened in Russia and other places. And then the greatest anti-Semite of all, which most Christians are just horrified to find out, was a man of great courage, a man who can be complimented for many things, and that's Martin Luther. He had the courage to stand up against the most powerful organization of the Middle Ages, but mm-hmm. at the same time, when he got near his death, when he started out, he said, because I have revived the gospel from works to salvation by grace, the Jews, who are very smart people, will understand that the gospel has always been tainted, and now they will receive Jesus. When they didn't, he turned against them with a fury. He wrote an anti-Semitic pamphlet. It was the worst pamphlet written up to that time, in which he laid out what to do with the Jewish people. And he said, point blank, their synagogues and schools are to be burned, their houses are to be destroyed, their Talmudic writings are to be confiscated, their rabbis forbidden to teach, their money confiscated, and they are to be put into forced labor. And when Hitler was rising to power Mm -hmm. in Mein Kampf, he said, the person I most admire in all of history is Martin Luther. And at the Nuremberg war crime trials, when the top Nazis were tried, they had two defenses. Well, number one, we were following orders. And number two, we just did what Luther said. Mm -hmm. So what are you upset about? And most Christians are not aware of that. They're not aware that when you start witnessing to a Jew, they're going to hold you off because they consider their number one persecutor throughout all of history to be Christians. Dave Reagan, what you've just outlined sounds to me like a satanic scheme. And I think you need to explain why Satan hates these people as intently as he does. He hates the Jews with a passion more than any other people on planet Earth. And the reason that he hates them so much is because they are the chosen people of God, even to this day. By that, I mean they are to be his witnesses. It was through them that he gave the word, the Bible. It is through them that he sent the Messiah. He has promised in both the Old Testament and New Testament that in the end times he's going to bring a great remnant of them to salvation. And when Jesus returns, that he's going to regather all the Jews on planet Earth who are believers, and he's going to make of them the greatest nation in the world, and all the blessings of God will flow out through the Jewish people. And Satan doesn't want to see any of that happen, so he is determined to annihilate the Jewish people. Jesus said he would not return until the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Satan says, hey, I can stop the return of Jesus by annihilating the Jewish people. He tried to do that in the Holocaust. He's going to try to do it again in the tribulation. He'll be even more successful because in the tribulation he's going to kill two-thirds of the Jewish people, according to Zechariah. But one-third will make it to the end, and that third will look upon him whom they pierced and weep and will and mourn and receive Jesus as their Messiah to the everlasting glory of God. God has never given up on the Jewish people. He never will. And he's going to bring a great remnant of salvation. We're taking part two of our programming to talk about Dave Reagan's chapter in Lawless, End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist, the latest Terry James book. It's in our store. We have limited quantities for the next couple of months. Please be patient. It's beyond our control. 
It is an issue with the publisher, and we really apologize. I did not want to delay this programming because of that issue. We do have some in stock. It's just a limited number. David, I'm glad you eloquently expressed things as you just did. You can learn more at ChristinProphecy.org and keep up on Dave Reagan's weekly TV program. But I gave a tease in part one of the program, and I said, what's with this open letter to evangelicals concerning Israel by the Knox Theological Seminary? That's Presbyterian. Let me just read a paragraph. Knox Theological Seminary posted on its website this document, quote, an open letter to evangelicals and other interested parties, the people of God, the land of Israel, and the impartiality of the gospel, written by some gentlemen I don't fully know. This document is a strongly worded and passionate criticism of dispensationalism, along with a defense of replacement theology. Taking a cue from the subtitle of the document, the message of its theology is that the people of God should only be defined soteriologically, the geographical land of biblical Israel is unimportant in the scheme of world history today, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is compromised when it is taught that any divine favor rests upon Israel or any nation apart from Jesus Christ. Again, this an open letter to evangelicals and other parties, the people of God, the land of Israel, and the impartiality of the gospel. Knox Theological Seminary, Presbyterian. David, you brought this to light, happens to be in this chapter of the book you've written. Explain a little bit more about this, please. I was unaware of it. A lot of people are unaware of it, but you can get on the internet and call it up, an open letter to evangelicals concerning Israel. You will just be astonished at some of the people who signed this, such luminaries as R.C. Sproul. And it says that God has no purpose left for the Jewish people, that everything's been transferred to church. There is nothing to the land of Israel of any significance today, that the people there are not a fulfillment of any prophecy, that they just happen to be an accident of history, that they happen to have come back. One of God's greatest miracles in regathering them is just written off as an accident of history. But it's a very common expression that you find in the church today by those who are caught up in this evil of replacement mm-hmm. theology. We need to explain what replacement theology is. A simple definition is the church has replaced Israel. There's no relevance to the modern state of Israel. As a matter of fact, they're gross inconvenience. They're beating up on the Palestinians, which most of my listeners know is not the case. And you name them, David. Stephen Sizer, he's an Anglican bishop. Gary Burgess, Hank Hanegraaff, even Rick Wiles. Rick was ranting a year ago when Donald Trump was going through some trials. He said, this is all being perpetrated. It's a Jew coup. I called him out, and he gave me a phone call and said I was going to be sued out of my mind by him these don't seem to be real nice people. The thing that's very interesting, too, is that nearly all of them claim that they're not anti-Semitic. They say we're anti-Zionists. I have a statement in this chapter in which I say anti-Zionism is just anti-Semitism in new, sophisticated Mm -hmm. clothes, whereas anti-Semitism sought to drive out the Jews from the lands where they lived. Anti-Semitism refuses to accept their right to live in their own land. It's just a new form of anti-Semitism. I'll play another clip here. It happens to be of you again, and this is so true. God has put Israel in the hearts of the Jewish people. Then you close talking about amillennialism, and I think we need to come back and at least address that for a minute or two, because honestly, a lot of my listeners and your followers as well, they may have grown up in amillennial churches or maybe attending them now, and I think they need to know 
why this would inhibit them from even understanding some of the things we're talking about. Did you know there's a psalm that says that God has put in the hearts of the Jewish people the highway to Zion? It's in their hearts. And what happened is at the beginning of this century, God touched that. And all over this world, Jews begin to say, we need to go home. We need to go back. The Ethiopian Jews said, we need to go back. All over the world, just simultaneous, Jews begin to say, we've got to go back home. We've got to go back home. God was motivating because in their hearts is the highway to Zion. Another of these prophecies about the end time is found in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36 about their regathering and unbelief. And here's how it reads. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Now notice, first he's going to regather them. Then they're going to come to belief. So they're being regathered in unbelief. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances, and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. Once again, our millennials try to explain this prophecy away. They try to talk about it's talking about the church. <laughs> it's amazing. More than half the commentaries written on this say this is talking about the church. Where is the church in here? I don't see the church in here. It's talking about the Jewish people and their regathering. David Reagan, you were raised in a denomination that didn't talk about anything we're talking about today. I think it may have been millennial. And I think you ought to explain what is the problem with millennialism. Why is that the predominant theology in our churches today? Amillennialism is the belief that we're living in the millennium now, that it began at the cross mm -hmm. and will continue until the second coming of Jesus. It is based upon a spiritualization of all of the scriptures concerning the end times. They have to be spiritualized because the Bible says point blank, Jesus is coming back to reign for a thousand years. So you have to say, well, it doesn't mean what it says. It is an abuse of the scriptures. There's several motivations, but certainly one of them people don't realize is anti-Semitism because the millennial kingdom of the end times that the Bible describes is going to be a kingdom where the Jewish people will reign as the prime nation right. of the world, and all the blessings of God will flow through the Jewish people to the rest of the world. And the church just can't accept that. So the church says, when it talks about that, it's really talking about the church and we're the kingdom. And the problem with all that is you have to spiritualize everything. It says that the earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice during the millennium. Is that true today? Well, of course not. But they say, well, it's just relative. There would be so much more evil in the world if the Holy Spirit weren't here and the church weren't here. But since we're here, well, it's just a lot safer and a lot better than it otherwise would be. No, it says the earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. I love a comment that Arnold Fruchtenbaum, a Messianic Jew, made about this. He said, if we're living in the millennium now, then I must be living in the ghetto area. Well put. Since you grew up with this amillennial theology and your background, how did you come to end up being not only a prophecy ministry, but a very prominent Bible prophecy television program, magazine, outstanding website? Nathan is putting some absolutely cutting-edge videos up on a weekly basis. What's the genesis here of your transformation? When I was 12 years old, I was just flipping through the Bible one day, and it landed on Zechariah 14. And I had only heard one sermon in all my life on Bible prophecy. It was a sermon that was preached every year in our church, but only one. And that sermon was, there's not one verse in the Bible that even implies that Jesus will ever put his feet on this earth again. So I'm flipping through the Bible, and I come to Zechariah 14. And it says, in the end times, Jerusalem will be surrounded by enemies. Half the city will fall. When the other half is about to fall, Jesus will return. He will return to the Mount of Olives. Mm -hmm. When his foot touches the Mount of Olives, it will split in half. 
He will speak a supernatural word, and all the enemies will be destroyed. And on that day, verse 9, he will become king of the earth. I was blown away. So I took it to my pastor. I was scared to death. And I said, you know, you say there's not a verse in the Bible that even implies Jesus never put his feet on the earth again. He said, that's right. I said, well, what about this? And I handed it to him. And he read it, and he read it. I thought he was never going to say anything. Finally, he looked up. He put his finger in my face, and he said, son, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what this means, but I guarantee you one thing. It does not mean what it says. Really? Yes. I'm Irish, and I was stubborn. And so every time a person would come to town and say, Jesus never coming back, I would say, what about this passage? And they would just say, well, it doesn't mean what it says. Finally, when I was about 19, we had a guy come who was a seminary graduate. We didn't have many of those back in our church in those days. Mm -hmm. And I went up and asked him, and he said, it's apocalyptic. And he turned around and walked off. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that was a disease or a what. My turnaround came, Jan, when one day I sat down and read the entire book of Zechariah. I had been told that all the prophecies didn't mean what they said. Well, the book of Zechariah has a bunch of first-coming prophecies, prophecies like Jesus will be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. The 30 pieces of silver will be used to buy a potter's field. He'll be lifted up. He will be pierced. It just goes on and on. It suddenly dawned on me, if those first-coming prophecies meant what they said, the second-coming prophecies must mean what they say. And you can't just say because they're an apocalyptic book that for some reason they don't mean what they say. And that was my turnaround. I just started taking all of the Bible, including Bible prophecy, to mean what it says. A man I greatly admire is the founder of the Institute for Creation Research, Henry Morris. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But he wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation that was superb. And at the very beginning, he said, you know why I'm writing this book is because people tell me the book of Revelation is hard to understand. He said, I got news for you. It is not hard to understand. It is hard to believe. If you will believe it, you will understand it. I think the good message of this hour, David Reagan, is that we've tried to convey that God keeps his promises to the Jew, but he keeps his promises to the Christian as well. Jen, every time I see all these prophecies being fulfilled for the Jewish people before my very eyes today, I get excited because I know God is going to fulfill every promise that he's made to the church, that Jesus is going to appear in the heavens very soon and take us out of this world, that we're going to go back to heaven with him and receive rewards for our work here in his kingdom, that we're going to celebrate the greatest feast this cosmos has seen, the marriage feast of the Lamb, and then he's going to stand up and say, let's go. And he's going to return to this earth, and we're going to come back with him, and we're going to see him when he lands on that Mount of Olives and coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're going to be scattered all over this world in our glorified bodies to reign over those who are in natural bodies. And at the end of that millennial reign, we're going to be put in that new Jerusalem. And from that viewpoint, I think we're going to see the greatest fireworks display in all of history as God superheats this earth and burns away the pollution of Satan's last revolt. And then in our new bodies, in a new Jerusalem, we're going to be lowered down to a new earth to live forever in the presence of Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ. I get excited about those things. We should be excited about it. Dave Reagan, I've got less than a minute, but you have a conference coming up in July. Give it a plug. Go to our website at lamblion.com or Christ in Prophecy, and you will find the details of the conference. It'll be a one-day conference. It's free of charge here in the North Dallas area at a conference center. It will feature five speakers. It'll be my last public presentation that I'll be making in behalf of Lamb and Lion Ministries. We'll have Alan Franklin, who's a great Christian from London, England, newspaper editor for many years. He'll be here to talk about Europe. We'll have my successor, Tim Moore. We'll have Nathan Jones, and we'll have a wonderful man by the name of Bob Russell, who at one point was the pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville that seats 9,000. And he will be here also to speak. So we've got quite a lineup. That's Saturday, July 17th near Dallas. 
lamblion.com or christandprophecy.org for all those details for his conference. Dave Reagan, thank you for all that you do. In the interest of time, I'm just going to go out of the program here with a little saying I like to use now and then. You know, in these troubled times, times of turmoil, times when headlines are absolutely startling some days, why don't you look back and thank him? Why don't you look around and serve him? Look ahead and trust him. Always, though, look up and expect him. He is coming again sooner rather than later. I want to thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. You are the love song we'll sing forever. We welcome friendly feedback at olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Call us Central Time at 763-559-4444 at 763-559-4444. We get our mail when you write to Jan Markell and Olive Tree Ministries, Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. That's Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. It's easy to feel lost, alone, and even anxious in today's toxic world. But you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have the roadmap to our times in the Bible, and everything is falling into place. 